Uh, great to see you. Um, this was my first time singing as a congregation back in the building because I've been on holiday. So it's been good, hasn't it? And um, uh, good to see you all again. Uh, good to see some visitors today. Uh, for those of you who are here for the first time um, or haven't been for a while, I'm Chris um, and I work here for the church. And on our Sunday mornings over these summer weeks, we're looking at some of the Psalms, some of the songs that we find in the Bible, the book of Psalms, uh, an old Hebrew songbook, really. And uh, today we're looking at Psalm 103, the Psalm that Eddie read to us earlier. So it'd be great if you could have that open in front of you. I have some slides. I know Rob's having a lot of trouble with the technology this morning. Ah, there we are. It's on the screen. Hope you can see it on Zoom as well. And uh, many of you will have seen the little video I sent around earlier in the week where I talked about the first verse of this psalm. Praise the Lord, my soul, and all my inmost being, praise his holy name. And they're words of encouragement. They're words where we are talking to ourselves. We're, we're inviting ourselves to praise the Lord. We're saying to me, me, my soul, you turn your eyes upwards and look to God. And we're reminding ourselves that even on those days when we don't feel like it, even on those days when praising the Lord doesn't seem like the thing we want to do, then this is a psalm where we encourage ourselves to do it nevertheless. So I'm not going to uh, say any more about that first verse, but let's move on uh, to verse 2, which says, Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And it made me think, well, what are these benefits? What are the things that God does? What are the things that God does for us? And uh, obviously, if you know the psalm well, you know what's coming. But you might just want to ponder for a moment, what are the things that God has done for you? Uh, you can call them out if you want, or you can just think of them in your heart, or if you're on Zoom, you can type them into the chat. What has God done for you? What are the first things that come to your mind? Well, says the psalm, the first thing that came to David's mind was, oh, it's too good to be true. If we could move it on, Rob. He forgives all your sins. That's the first thing. He forgives all your sins. And forgiveness is this, what we've already thought about it this morning, we've said words of confession. Forgiveness is absolutely at the heart of our faith, isn't it? Uh, the Christian faith does not say to us, the Bible does not say to us, God does not say to us, you are okay. Everything that's wrong in your life is somebody else's fault. It was, all the, it was all the fault of your parents or your school teachers or the bad stuff that happened to you. Yes, those things might have happened, but the Bible says actually fundamentally our problem lies within us. And we don't need excuses. We don't need explanations. What we need first and foremost is forgiveness. We need God to pardon us. We need God to cleanse us and to purify us. We need God to deal with those things which are wrong in our lives. This beautiful, rich, biblical word, forgiveness. And the good news is, as we read in, in one of the New Testament letters, if we, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God does not excuse us, he pardons us. And that is such good news, isn't it? Because otherwise the responsibility is on me. 
but here the responsibility is on God. This is something he has done for me. The first of the benefits the psalmist came up with. He heals all your diseases. Now, this is an interesting one because, uh, as, as I often say, the people who wrote the Bible, the, the people that God inspired to write the Bible, were not stupid. They knew that not all our diseases, not all our human ills and frailties get healed. Not, not in a literal, physical sense, not in this life. In fact, we'll see that later in the psalm when we come um, to verses uh, 14 and, and 15 and 16. It talks about the frailty of life. So the psalmist is not saying that if we're, if we're followers of God, we're going to get a free pass to permanent health, wealth, and happiness, and everything's going to be easy. But what we do find, and what I think the psalmist was celebrating, is that God heals us of those things which mar our lives at a, at a deep level, and which, are, which mar our relationship with God, and which spoil the, the kind of people that he created us to be. God gives us healing for those things. He gives us new identities. He gives us an abundance of life which transcends the illnesses and the problems that we have to deal with. And so the psalmist, this man who lived in a time when there was no national health service, when people often died young, yet is able to say to God, you are someone who heals all my diseases. So God forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. What's another benefit he gives us? He redeems our lives from the pit. This is another glorious Christian biblical gospel word, redemption. Redemption recognizes that we were in a place that is not good and God brings us out of it. He takes something, he takes our situation and he comes into it and he rescues us from it and he pulls us up out of the slimy pit. He frees us from the captivity we were living in. He rescues us from the danger we were in. He comes and finds us, the last sheep out there on the hillside when the 99 are already in the fold and he comes to find us and rescue us. He pays a ransom price for us. All these glorious images that we find in God's word. You redeem my life from the pit. Another thing that God does for us. Do you know what's next? He crowns you with love and compassion. The psalmist, remember, he's talking to himself. He's speaking these words to himself. Remember, God crowns you. And what does he crown us with? Not a literal glittery thing on our heads, but he crowns us with something even more wonderful. Love and compassion. And you think of, of God's word and you think of all the, the imagery and the parables Jesus told. Think of the prodigal son who, who the father saw him way off in the distance and he went running to him. And what did he do to the prodigal son when he came back? He put a, he put a robe on him. He put a ring on his finger. He crowned him with love and compassion. God crowns us with the, the greatest thing he can do above everything. He makes us his children. He makes us his sons and daughters. He adopts us. We are secure. We are part of his family. We are reconciled to God. The things we've done no longer stand between us and God. He crowns us with love and compassion. What a great crown that is to have, isn't it? And he satisfies, finally in this little section, he satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Do you feel 
renewed like the eagles. I, sometimes, you know, this is poetic language, okay, but, but the psalmist is saying, you've done something for me that, that you've met my deepest longings. You know, that, that famous fa- phrase of, of St. Augustine, God made us for, us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. He satisfies our ultimate desires, our God-shaped whole. Our, what is our ultimate desire? Well, it's for God. We might not realize that. We might live our lives as if there's no such thing as God, but ultimately we won't find satisfaction until we allow God to satisfy our deepest desires so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. So those are some of the wonderful things that God has done for us. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all these benefits. Forgiven, healed, redeemed, crowned, satisfied. What can you add to the list? You don't have to shout out, but think about it. And, and where in the Bible do we see all this most obviously displayed? How what God has done for us, uh, how God has made these things possible, how a holy God is able to, to redeem us and crown us and make us his children. Where do we see that happening most clearly? We see it at the cross. We see it in what we've just been celebrating in the bread and wine, that the Lord Jesus himself came to rescue us. He came down into the slimy pit and pulled us out with him. He has redeemed us. And where are we now? We are seated with him. We are already, Paul says in Ephesians, so to speak, we're already seated with him in the heavenly places. We've already been raised with him. We're not literally there yet, but because Christ has already won this victory at the cross, we are in a sense, we already enjoy these amazing privileges. Forgiven, healed, redeemed, crowned, satisfied, and more. And what is to be our response? Well, to sing, to tell this out as we will do in the hymn at the end of this service, which is based on this psalm that contains that wonderful summary of what we've just been saying. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like thee his praise should sing? So, when we talk about the benefits God gives us, we're not meaning the, you know, the perks, the health insurance, the, uh, the, the bonus, um, the stuff we can get out of it, the fancy house, the new car, Um, the retirement pot, we're meaning these things, the things that God has paid the ultimate price to secure for us. But the psalmist goes on, and in in the, due to time, I'm going to cover really the the meat of the psalm in one big section, verses 6 to 19. And in these verses, um, the psalmist, David the psalmist, uh, sort of morphs from talking about what God has done into talking about, well, what, if that's what God does, what does that tell me about the kind of God he is? I've been, th- I've been thinking and, and talking to myself about what God has done for me, how he's ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven me. What does that say to me about the kind of God that I'm worshipping? So he starts off there in verse 7. He starts off with Moses. That's supposed to be Moses in the picture with his tablets of stone. Uh, he, talk, he goes back to the Old Testament. He goes back to the, to the stories uh, in, the, in the, the Torah, um, the stories of Israel's life and their encounter with God. And he reminds himself of what God did, how God revealed himself to Moses, how he brought them out of captivity how he was compassionate and gracious. Words taken from Exodus 34. Do you remember? Um, Moses said to God, I'd really like to see you. 
uh, I'd really like to see what you're like. And God says, well, you can't actually do that. It would be too overwhelming. But come up the mountain, and I'll, I'll put you in the, the cleft in the rock, and my glory will pass by. And, and as God's glory passed by Moses, you remember afterwards, Moses came down from the mountain, and his face was glowing so brightly that the people were frightened of him. He had this extraordinary experience, even though he didn't actually see God. Nevertheless, the experience of God's glory was so great. And what did God say to him as he was passing by? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious one, slow to anger and abounding in love. The words that the psalmist picks up here in verse 8. The kind of God that we worship. So let's think for a minute. We've thought, we thought about what God has done for us, but, but what is God like? I know, I know you're wearing masks, but you know, shout out to me some words. What is God like? It does, they don't have to be in the psalm. Any words? Gracious. Gracious thank you. Compassionate. Compassionate. Sorry? Loving. Loving. Faithful. Faithful. Powerful. Powerful. Patient. Patient. Just. You're going to be doing this a lot in heaven, so we might as well get used to it. Um, <laughs> Yes, all those words great, and many of them were, are in the psalm, aren't they? But let, let me draw out a few that are here, and thank you so much for those who contribute. So, so we see some contrast, don't we? We, hear some, we see some things which, which feel as if they ought to be in tension. So in verse 6, we read that God is a righteous God. He works justice. God is a God of righteousness and justice. He's a holy God. He cannot bear to see evil and injustice and sinfulness. And therefore, if, if we just had this picture of God, it would, be, it would be appalling. It would be awesome. It would be so terrifying that we wouldn't be able to come near him in worship. And yet, in the psalmist, those truths about God are placed next to truths that reassure us, that remind us, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. He's not some tyrant that he's all-powerful, but you dare not come near him because you don't know what he's going to do next. He's, a, he's, a, he's an awesome, all-powerful God, and yet we come to him knowing that he's gracious and compassionate. What a wonderful God to worship. Aren't we grateful that we're not worshipping gods of some, you know, some of those ancient myths that were sort of you know, all, all concerned about their own, own praise and, and glory and, and didn't really care about anybody else, and you never quite knew what they were going to do from one minute to the next. What a wonderful God we worship. Three times we read a, a word in these verses that in English is translated love, but it, it's translating a Hebrew word, hesed, which is a, is a word about covenant commitment. It's a word that says God is completely committed to his people. It's not a word that says, if I do this for you, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. It's a, it's a word that simply says, I will do this for you because you are my people. Whatever you do, I will be committed to you. And God is great in hesed. Um, verse 8, he's abounding in it. Uh, verse 11, um, how, so great is his love as high as the heavens are about, above the earth. That's how great is his hesed. And in verse 17, um, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's hesed is with those who fear him. It, it doesn't have limits. It is everlasting and it is beyond measure. That is the kind of love that God shows to his people. That is the kind of God that our God is. But there's more. Uh, verse 13, 
As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And that word compassion, uh, twice there in verse 13, but also we've already seen it back there in verse 8. This is, this is a word in Hebrew that comes from the word for womb. It's, it's an incredibly feminine word. It's a word that evokes pictures of motherhood. And so I think it's, it's legitimate to say that God's relationship with us is both father-like and mother-like. And we see that elsewhere in Scripture, don't we? God predominantly reveals himself to us as father, and yet he gives us passages in Scripture that remind us that there's a maternal aspect to his character. Which is why in the hymn that we sing at the end, based on this psalm, father-like he tends and cares us, you could also sing mother-like he tends and cares us, because he is a God of womb-like compassion for his children. And yet, he's also awesome. Uh, Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for whom? For those who fear him. Verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And again in verse 17. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Who is it who experience, who are the people who experience God's wonderful, gracious, hesed, father-like, mother-like characters? Well, it's those people who are in awe of God. It doesn't mean fear in the way that we might fear somebody that we, we don't know how they're going to behave. That you know, They have this, this personality that just swings from one thing to another and there's no consistency to them, there's no commitment to them. That, that's not like the kind of fear we have of God. We have a fear of God based on the confidence we know what he's like because he's revealed himself to us. And yet it's a, it's a relationship of respect. It's a relation, I've used the word awesome. I know we, we, the word awesome, something's awesome, isn't it? You know, it's just amazing. Um, and, and that's in a sense that is how I'm using it but, it, but it, it's awesome in the sense of fearful. I don't, I don't mess about with this God. I don't mock him. I don't, I don't treat him with, 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 with contempt. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't treat him as if he doesn't matter very much. I'm, I feel awesome before him. I feel fearful, rightfully fearful before him. Not, be, not because you know, I know that he's going to somehow lash out at me, but because, he, because of the kind of God he is. Why wouldn't I have awe and fear of him? And if we want to know what that kind of godly fear of God looks like, then look there in verse 18. The Lord has established, sorry, verse 18, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. What does the fear of the Lord look like? It looks like doing what God has told us to do. It looks like obeying his word, worshipping him, keeping his covenant, thinking actually what, what is it that God wants me to do today? How does God want me to worship and live for him? That's how I show my awe and fear of God. So what is God like? But there's more in these verses. There's some sort of compare and contrasts so, and, and, and in a sense, God is being, being compared with us. I, some of you have just you know, had exam, well, had assessment results and, and things like that, or you may have children or, or grandchildren or people you know who've had assessment results. And I don't know about you, but in the days when I did exams and things, um, that, that dreaded question, compare and contrast. 
Um, there was not a right answer to it, was there? The answer wasn't six. I, I did maths, you know, maths was my thing, and it was nice to have a nice easy answer, six, or, or pi over two or something, you know. A, a, a right answer. But compare and contrast, it's always one on the one hand, on the other hand. But anyway, the, in, the Bible invites us to compare and contrast what God is like to what we're like. And, and here's some contrasts. So it starts with us. Uh, this is a, a picture, actually, of my parents' gravestone, um, we've, which we've just had, had done. And, and, in, and behind it, the sort of darker pink, is my grandparents' gravestone in the same plot. And, and I like this picture. It obviously, you know, in some ways makes me sad because it reminds me of, 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 of loss. But it also reminds me of the truths proclaimed here in verses 4 to 16. God remembers how we are formed. God knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass that flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. How temporary we are, how transient, how short-lived, how in a sense insignificant. We're like dust, we're like chaff that the wind blows away and it's gone. That's what humans are like. That's not the whole story of what humans are like, but with a, a contrast is being set up. A contrast is being set up bet between what we're like and, on the other hand, what is God like. Well, God's love and forgiveness are, what are they? Verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, Massive. They're not temporary and transient and little and small and insignificant. They are vast. They're wide, wide as the ocean, high as the heavens above, deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Saviour's love. That's what the psalmist is saying. I remember my Sunday school teacher used to say, um, the psalmist doesn't say as far as the north is from the south, because if you keep going north, try it, eventually what happens? You start going south again. So far, so the, 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 I, know the, I know it's all you know, Penn State to find these things. But if you say how far is the east is from the south, from the north is from the south, there's a limit to it. If you keep going east, what happens? Well, you just keep going east. You just keep going round and round and round. There is no limit on how far the east is from the west. And that is how far God has removed our transgressions to us. Is that good news? Thank you. I just about heard. That is good news. Amen. God has removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. But there is more. How great is, love's, is God's love and righteousness in verse 17? From everlasting to everlasting. As far back as you can conceive. You know, more than 14 billion years ago, but beyond the Big Bang or whatever else started the whole show off, from everlasting to everlasting, beyond the end of this little world, when it all burns up in a very hot heap, what's going to still be there? The Lord's love. The Lord's love for those who fear him and his righteousness for their children's children. How great is God's love? It is beyond measure. And the final thing to contrast with our puny insignificance in verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over everything, over all. So what a wonderful contrast, what a reminder that any comparisons we make based on our own and our own experience are going to be um, 
very inadequate comparisons because God is beyond that. His love is beyond that. His faithfulness, his holiness, and his glory are beyond these things. Okay, well, that's sort of, we're pretty much at the end of the psalm, but the psalmist finally says, well, what does he say in verses 20 to 22? He says, everybody in the whole cosmos join in. Up to now, I've been talking to myself, but now you join me. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you holy one, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, the mighty armies of God. We don't really know what was in the psalmist's mind. We don't really know uh, all these, what these, ex, these heavenly beings are. But the psalmist calls them to praise God. You his servants who do the will, his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everything in his dominion. And the psalm ends with the words, it begins with, praise the Lord, me. You do it. Look at yourself. Look at yourself for a moment and say to yourself, praise the Lord. For all these reasons the psalmist has just given us. What are we to do? What is our life to consist of? It is consist to consist of praise for the Lord. Shall we have a moment of quiet? Because I'm conscious I've sort of explained the psalm, but the the real business begins with what we do with it. So let's spend a moment doing something with the psalm, talking to God about it, talking to ourself about what it tells us about God, and then we will finish with the hymn that I've already alluded to.